Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals they need the, the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And I am so looking forward to this program today because we're going to learn a lot. We're going to have a great time talking with this gentleman. How do I know this? Well, I know this because this is the second time I've talked to him. The first time the recording didn't work. Oh, good gosh, technology failed us. Um, but it just means I get to talk to the fabulous Ray Pakowski again. So welcome to the program again, Ray. Well, thank you so much. It was uh, it was fun, and I'm I'm looking forward to doing it a second time. I know, you know, and and that's it's one of those things where I was I was upset that you know that we had that the recording didn't work, but then it, with the next breath, I'm thinking, oh, yay, I get to talk to Ray again. So yeah. <laughs> absolutely, no, I I uh, technology. I mean, it's just part of life, and and there are some failures and. I've learned many, many years ago just to live with it and uh, enjoy it and, and go on to the next time. Like yeah. you said, we get yeah. a second round here. I know. So fun, fun. Well, since I'm the only person who knows your bio, let me tell people your bio again. Okay. So Ray Pakowski is a driven entrepreneur who has started many companies over the last 30 years from banks to trade show companies. Since 1991, his company has been recognized as the 28th fastest growing company by Inc. 500, was twice named a Texas Family Business of the Year by the Baylor University Business School, was named four times to the prestigious Dallas 100, awarded by the Carruth Institute for Entrepreneurship at SMU Cox School of Business. He earned the Byron Nelson Award given by the Irving Connection and Visitors Bureau and was named a Dallas Business Journal Top 25 family-owned business. So again, Ray, welcome to our program. Well, thank you again. And uh, just reading all that off tells you I'm an old guy. No, 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 no. You're just experienced. And <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I've talked to a lot of people who truly count, you know, some of their very first businesses that they started as the lemonade stands, you know, all those various things. And I think in many ways, we are entrepreneurs it, for many of us at a very early age, um, you know, and, and we start learning that sometimes it's from watching our family. Sometimes it is because we want to earn a little extra money, all those various things. But so many of us are kind of entrepreneurs from birth. You know, I, I, I tend to uh, agree with that statement. I, I you know, all, all the things you mentioned above, I, I, I did those things from the lemonade stand and always trying to look for a creative way to to, to edge out the competition. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with that 100%. Right. Well, one of the reasons we are talking with you is you have written this fabulous book. It's called Lessons of an Entrepreneur, How to Grow, Take Risks, and survive. And I love this book. It's a very quick read, folks. But if you are an entrepreneur, if you are thinking of becoming an entrepreneur, if you're just kind of noodling on it and you know are, are pondering maybe someday, somehow, this really is a great book because it's a fast read, but tons and tons of great tips. And so one of the first things that really got me thinking about was 
what is an entrepreneur? You know, we do tend to think that an entrepreneur is the person who's in, like me, my spare bedroom running my vast empire. Um, you know, or, or you know, I, I jest, but we do think of an entrepreneur as being a small business, a one-person business, and that's actually not true. Um, you know, and and because an entrepreneur is that person, and so I was looking for definitions of this. And I found this great one online in the business dictionary. And it says that an entrepreneur is someone who exercises initiative by organizing a venture to take benefit of an opportunity and as the decision maker decides what, how, and how much of a good or service will be produced. An entrepreneur supplies risk capital as a risk taker and monitors and controls the business activities. An entrepreneur is usually a sole proprietor, a partner, or one who owns the majority of the, the venture. And I liked that. And then it goes on to say that entrepreneurs are not necessarily, and I love this part, and you're going to like this too, Ray. You're going to love this definition. An entrepreneur is not necessarily motivated by profit, but regarded as a standard for measuring achievement or success. And it's, you know, it's, it is, we're looking for, filling a need, you know, and, and in many cases, the, the money comes from that. But for so many entrepreneurs, that is kind of the side benefit. You know, it's, it's, it comes from helping people. I, I couldn't agree with that more. In fact, I think probably if you, if you did a study and you would look at the, what was the, the reason behind starting a business, and if it was to, quote, make a lot of money and, uh, live this rich life, uh, probably that, that company didn't make it. Right. Uh, because I think as entrepreneurs, you, you, first of all, I think they're visionaries. You know, you, mm -hmm. you have, I always tell our staff, you know, uh, we just recently celebrated our, our 25th year in business. And, you know, at that celebration, you know, I said, you know, 25 years ago, I had a vision, but it was the people, it was the staff that made it come to life. Right. You know, I, I just, uh, I was I was able to see things that other people weren't, and I think that's that's really the the uh, I guess a shorter definition of an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, let's let's talk just a little bit about your business because it is far from being the tiny little business that you know the the one person shop that we think of, and it's called the Expo Group. You are based in uh, Texas, <clears throat> and as you just mentioned, you've been in business for twenty five years. You have a large employee base. I mean, you know, this is definitely yes. not a, a one or two person shop, but you are still the entrepreneur because you have that spirit of of that. Um, so tell us just, you know, very briefly what your organization does. Sure, sure. We are a, a, a supplier in, in the trade show industry, mm -hmm. um, and we are uh, hired by uh, trade associations or as we refer to them as, as a show organizer. Okay. And, and, um, so, and there's, there's, I think there's 15,000, uh, trade shows that are held annually just in the United States. Wow. Yeah. I know it's, it's an, it's a very, uh, a silent industry that, you know, people go to shows. They usually go to consumer shows like a, a flower show or, or mm -hmm. an auto show. And they really don't think about how all that stuff got in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there is a, you know, uh, uh, an organization that, that uh, is in charge of that, and they hire companies like ours to 
provide them the necessary logistics and decor and furnishings and operation uh, needs that they have uh, to produce that job. Right. So, you know, the, the reason why I really wanted to mention your business is it, it is at the heart of that why you became an entrepreneur mentality. You know, you saw a need and you filled it. So let's go back in time, you know, 25 years right, right. and tell us why you founded your business. So, um, and, and actually we're going to go back a little further because the, the company I have right now is really the second um, uh, company that, okay. that I in this industry. And, um, and that was part of the reason I wrote the book was, you know, some of the, Things that, that I experienced through my the first time that I started uh, a sizable business was in, in 1987. Mm-hmm. But the, the 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 idea was that in a, in a trade show industry, uh, it was operating in in silos and in very uh, non user friendly. And if if you were uh, an exhibitor on a trade show, you had to deal with all these separate different entities or, right. or vendors. To, to get the things that you needed to have a successful rent, you had to go maybe to the electrician or to the audiovisual person or to the labor desk or to a furniture desk mm-hmm. or to a carpet desk. And it was, it was all, um, unconnected. Even though that we were all had the same goal, there was no uh, consistency, you know, across the right. supply chain. And so what my vision was, was to connect the supply chain. Okay. Um, and so this was a, a back in 1986. So when I first thought about this and actually brought it to the company I was working for, the idea of it, the vision, so to speak, um, they just they just had a hard time uh, seeing it because right. the, that's not the way it's always been done. It's not the way it's always been done. There was like this is a tremendous amount of work, and and there was no automation at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, Microsoft was just coming online. They were just a few years younger. Um, I think they started in 82. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the PCs weren't what they are today as they are today. So the, you, and actually my vision was, okay, we'll still, we'll, we were going to actually do it all by hand. Okay. And, um, and shortly after we, I started the company, it, it became very evident to me that this, this was an impossible task. And I understood why. You know, my previous employer said it's impossible to do. So um, we basically went out and started writing our own program to be able to connect the supply chain and have a have a single sign-on uh, for the exhibitors to use and have one source mm-hmm. to get all their needs met. Right. You know, and, that, and I was an exhibitor back in that time period, and I hated it because you're you're right. You know, I would have to fill out one set of forms and fax them usually um, to have housekeeping, clean the trash cans at night. Another yeah. set of forms went to get carpet. Another yeah. set of forms went to get electrical. And, you know, and, and every single thing you needed, including, you know, depending on like some of the big shows, uh, them moving the equipment in, you know, and, and right. some things like that. If they were, uh, especially if they were in an area that was union based, um, right. you know, and, 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 and the bad part was all of those items were tied together, you know, and, and you had different deadlines for each one. 
Right. But getting different the move pay, in. Different right. payment terms. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. You know, some of them were, you know, immediate payment. And, you know, obviously it partially depended on the size of your company, how many times you'd exhibited, all those various things. But then it all had to tie together once you got there. You know, you can't have your booth set up and then have the carpet people show up, you know, and, and all of these things. And, and so I, you know, I love the concept, but I can see where everybody always went, well, but that's the way we've always done it because they had. And I think that really speaks to why so many people become entrepreneurs. You know, we see the need and, and the fact that, well, that's the way it's always been done isn't working. Or maybe it's not, it, maybe it's working, but it could be optimized. Or, you know, all those various things. And, and I, and, you know, I think that really is why so many people become entrepreneurs. They see that need and then they take steps to fill it. I, I agree. I, you know, um, there's, a, I read a recent quote by, by uh, uh, Richard Branson. He said, uh, there was, there's no need in starting your own business unless you do it out of sense of frustration. Mm hmm. And so for me, even though I wasn't a user, I, I witnessed the frustration of all the customers, you know, try, just describing what you had to go through. And mm -hmm. it, it was a, a frustrating experience for them. Right. Well, and, you know, we, we, you, you know, you mentioned Richard Branson. He's an entrepreneur. Steve Jobs oh, yeah. was an entrepreneur. You know, and so I think that is, you know, that's another one of those things that as a small business owner, as the entrepreneur, Sometimes we think small. Now it could be that you know what we've got is the only is is perfect and works the way we want it to. But I don't think that we should limit ourselves. But at the same point, we always always have to keep that entrepreneurial spirit going in whatever business it is, even if it becomes a Fortune 100 business or or whatever. And, you know, it becomes Apple. It becomes um, Richard Branson's you know organization. You know, becomes Amazon. All those various things. Those leaders still have that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, now the, the cool thing then is that they hire people who have that entrepreneurial spirit. That's correct. You got to build that culture. Mm -hmm. um, and, and right, right now in, in the uh, society we live in, there's so many of the, the entrepreneurs that, that are turning over because of age primarily. Right. Uh, so succession planning, you know, is a big part of of, of your strategic plan mm -hmm. if you if you are going to keep your business within your your company. I mean, within your family, mm -hmm. uh, and that's why you see so much too right now. So so much M and A business going on, right? Um, because that's that's an exit strategy. One of the things I write about in, in, in my book was that when you do start your company. Believe it or not, you have to be thinking about an exit. Mm -hmm. So am I starting this company just to get the idea out there and I'm going to build it so far, but I'm not going to create that infrastructure to maintain it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going to sell it. And there's, there's quite a few entrepreneurs that do that, but that right. is the strategy. They go in, they start things, they like to start them, but they really don't want to run them. Mm -hmm. And then they, they turn them over to a larger company and start their next one. Right. You know, and you're very fortunate in that one of your children works for you. Actually, I, I believe all of your children have worked for you at, at you know any at varying points in time. But you have yeah. one who is now um, one of your leaders, 
And, yes. you know, at some point, I'm assuming we'll transition into, I'm putting this in my little air quotes, the leader, <laughs> so that you can enjoy retirement, except I don't see you as retiring. You're not that type of person. But, no, you know, I, don't think, it, I don't think you ever retire. Right, <laughs> right. You know, and, and so it is something that, you know, if it is a business that is, an, you know, wants to be an ongoing entity, as you mentioned, as you're setting it up, think about that. You know, if you're... Not if say you don't have children, uh, you know. Obviously, that's that's a, a large population. How do you want your business to continue? You know, is it that you're going to bring good people on board who can eventually take over? Is it that you're going to to build it up and sell it? All those various things, and you know, it that gets kind of lost when we're setting up our little home based businesses. Because we can think about what's happening tomorrow, maybe what's happening next week, and holy schmoly, we might be thinking about next month. But having those future big goals, and and it's funny, we call them BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. If you have those out there, that is something to definitely be aiming toward. Uh, yes, and... and, and- you know, just to, to keep it in context here, I mean, when you start your company, you're not, not thinking about that, but it is part of your strategic plan right. in the beginning. So are we going to build it to hold it? Are we going to build it to sell it? Mm-hmm. And and it, you really run your, your company in two different uh, uh, methods mm-hmm. if you are going to to uh, to build it and sell it on a short-term period. Right. Course, many businesses are not going to do that. You know, they're the, the person who started it goes a certain period of time and then the business stops for whatever reason. Um, you know, they move on to something else, they, you know, they pass away, they retire, whatever. Um, but it, it is for many businesses, it is, you know, a plan that, that they need to be thinking about is what is that next step? I, I agree with that. And I also think there's a, there's a, a responsibility, at, you know, as the owner. To the employees that help you get there, mm-hmm. um, I always, I always, because there's such dependency on you. Um, the employees that work in your company, you know, they they have mortgages, they have car payments, they have college tuitions, and um, you you need to uh, be cognizant of them and not just be thinking of yourself. Right. That hey, I'm going to exit, or not to have a plan on a on a you mentioned a, a death, right? Mm-hmm. You can die prematurely. Right. But I think the more leaders you have and the more that you have uh, planned for your exit, whether it comes, you know, uh, voluntarily or involuntarily, mm-hmm. I think it's very important and, and, and part of your responsibility as a leader. Right. You know, and, and, one of the things that you talk about in your book, and, and you know, it's it's clearly the foundation maybe of, of who you are as, as that business po- owner, is what you call servant leadership. So tell us more about that, because that really is what holds all of this together. I, I, I agree. So, yeah, so um, a, few, a few years in the, into the company that I had uh, started, um, I, I read a book by uh, William Pollard um, called The Soul of the Firm, mm-hmm. and uh, he's the chairman of a Service Master. And I, it was really a, a, a book that, that was very influential in my life and, and how he talked about uh, serving a purpose greater than oneself. Mm-hmm. And 
that is is a culture that we adopted very early on in the company and, mm-hmm. and, and still do today. And so by you know by that it's it's uh, it's 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 included in our mission statement of of helping people perform at a higher level. The whole idea is is not to be as a CEO worried about uh, or thinking about just myself or the things that I want or the things that we're doing, but to think about the the people in the company and how I can help them perform. And as a result, you're going to have a, a, a better company. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I have in the book is a, you know, an organizational chart usually has the CEO at the top. Right. And, and it it's, has it's the, the pyramid. The pyramid, mm-hmm. right. And, with a servant leadership company, the, you invert that pyramid. Mm-hmm. In other words, I'm at the bottom. And so what my role is, this is to serve my direct reports mm-hmm. and to help them perform at a higher level. And then in turn, they are to do that with their direct reports and so on and so forth. And then I call it pushing from the bottom up mm-hmm. and out. And then that, as a result, goes out and touches our customers. Right. So that attitude and and to uh, fulfill our mission of trying to help our customers perform at a higher level. Mm-hmm. You know, and you feel so strongly about this. The, the This description and the pyramids that you talk about are actually page three of your book. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, as I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, even if you are just the one person, the two, you know, the under 10, you know, the whatever, you can still have this thought process. You know, of, of helping others, of helping your community. You know, how many of us belong to organizations that are business oriented, whether it's chambers of commerce here in Atlanta, we have business associations, all those various things. How can you be that servant leader to them? You know, and, and, you know, volunteering for committees, all those various things. And it gets tricky because, you know, yes, we still have to do business, but it, it, it is, I hate to use the word karma because it's not really that. It's, you know, as the servant leader, you're doing what's right. You know, it's not because you're doing it in expectation of getting something back. It's just because you're doing it because that's the way it should be done. Yes, um, and you have to give back. I think, uh, you know, first of all, um, we own none of this. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, we all come into this world with, uh, nothing and we leave with nothing. So mm-hmm. it's all what you do in between, right? And right. and giving back is, is a big part of the culture of servant leadership, absolutely. You know, helping our communities, helping our organizations. Uh, or starting even further, uh, though, Deb, is, is to help the people within your company, mm-hmm. right? Because let's face it, we all have challenges in life. We right. all go through different periods. You know, it, it could be from a health issue to uh, a, a divorce, or, or it could be a, a sick child, uh, a grandparent. There's so many things in, in life, as you know, it's just not as simple as mm-hmm. we would, would like it to be. So that that how that impacts uh, your your company, impacts mm-hmm. your employees. They all go through periods of time like that, and it's how you treat them at that point, which which is a which is instrumental in, in serving leadership. Right. It's, you know, it's knowing that you care about them, knowing mm-hmm. that you love them. And in turn, that take, that, that builds up trust between you and the manager, you, whoever that may be. And, and in turn, that person is going to work that much harder for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's funny because 
in in a lot of ways, I think we've gotten away from corporate culture and understanding how important it is. And you've you've mentioned the word several times, and, and clearly it's a big theme in your book. Your employees, whether seasonal, part time, full time, are family. You know, is is basically the the easiest way to put that, and you treat them as such. You know, and as you mentioned, then they're going to give back. And one of the things that I absolutely loved learning about your organization is that you have multi generations of family members that work for your company. You know, not just you and your son. You know, your immediate family. You have employees who are third generation employees. That's correct. Yeah, it's it's one of the I'd say. If not the, it's one of the most uh, proudest things that I have. I have right now of the company is mm-hmm. is the, the having that love and belief and culture that we have built at the Expo Group mm-hmm. is that you as a parent want your children to work there, and not only your children but your grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's uh, to me, it's a very rewarding uh, uh, experience and very rewarding feeling for me. Uh, and, and that just takes time, though. I, I, you know, one of the things that that, you know, we, we I do want to mention this, though, you know, it is lessons for an entrepreneur. But the intent I had, too, is if you are a big organization mm-hmm. um, and you're, you're working for a Fortune 500 company, you can create this culture within your department right. or within your division. Um, you know, and, and it starts out, you know, small. Um, the, you know, I think the, every employee is, is, is the intent. They know what your intent is. And, and I, I call it trust. Mm-hmm. Do they trust that you as a leader are, have their best interest at heart mm-hmm. or is it good for you to, to climb the corporate ladder? Right. And I think once that's established, the, that relationship, you know, we, we, um, we call it the platinum rule in mm-hmm. our company. So everyone's heard of the golden rule, you know, treat others like you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And we have the platinum rule, which is to treat others like they want to be treated. Right. Because we're all different. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, it's, it, and, and that's just the way that God has wired us. And so we have to learn that it takes time. You have to, the, the, the manager or the leader has to take time and, and invest in their employees, not mm-hmm. financially, but invest uh, uh, what's happening in their lives mm-hmm. to, to get down into a deeper understanding and so that you can help them. Again, goes back to helping them uh, become either uh, more, more, more um, productive in their personal lives mm-hmm. or even in their business life. Right. Um, and that only comes, that comes with trust and that mm-hmm. comes with knowing that, and, and it takes time. People, you know, we live in a very, very fast, busy world. None of us have time anymore. Mm-hmm. But that's where I think you, know, you see companies fail or you have high turnover. Mm-hmm. If if I am a manager, I, I need to know about my employees. I need to care about them, and I need to understand what, what's going on in their lives, mm-hmm. whether it be, a, you know, a part of the business. Maybe they're, they're challenged by, you know, someone who they're directly reporting to at that point. Uh, and, and work through that. Um, and we look at at that is a big part of our success is right. that that investment of time and, and effort to get to know our people. Mm-hmm. Now the company has grown, 
I can't do that on a personal level anymore. I don't even know all the people that work at the company anymore. Mm -hmm. But the whole idea, again, going back to if you're a large company, you can do this on a smaller scale. So going back to the pyramid, my, my role is to make sure I understand my senior reports that report to me. And then in turn, they again pass it up to the next person. Mm-hmm. And, and once that culture continues, it's it's like a domino effect. Right. And that, that's how you're, you're successful. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes it is just the little things. You know, I worked for the you know that that really makes such a, a positive difference. You know, I worked for a very large financial corporation, and reported directly to the president of of our uh, business unit. You know, multi multi million dollar organization, and I remember he had us as the you know as the communications HR. You know, they, you never quite know what area you're in when you're in communications. Every employee had to redo their badges. You know, this was a large enough company that everyone had badges because we had to badge in. It was, you know, it was, it was a secure facility. And mm-hmm. he had the had us put the person's first name in a much larger font. And basically so that if you were 10 feet away, maybe not 10, maybe six feet, mm-hmm. you could read that name. And his, what he explained to us was he wanted to be able to see somebody in the hall, in the elevator, wherever, and call them by their first name. Did he know all of them? No. I mean, you know, we were like, you know, we, in that, that building, we had hundreds of employees. So obviously he didn't know them all. But I had so many people who said, oh, my gosh, he called me by my first name. He knows who I am. And it was, that was, you know... It, it sounds silly and it kind of is, but it made a big difference. It showed that he cared as opposed to just, Hey, how you doing this morning? <laughs> he called everybody by name and, and he was very conscious of that. I mean, that was something that he always, always, always tried to do was, you know, even if it was just to say good morning or good afternoon or have a great day or whatever he, and that comes, you know, it's one of those things that we have always heard that your own name is the sweetest word that you can hear, you know, and, and so if the CEO or your manager, you know, calls calls you by name, you're like, wow, he cares about me. I, uh, Deb, you're, you're right on, and and uh, it, it is the little things, you know. I I share a few of those in, in the book, you know, about what I what I call little things, and and one of the little things that we started many years ago is is that we send. Um, a birthday card. We started it with just sending a birthday card with mm-hmm. a couple movie tickets and some popcorn, you know, to the to the the employee of the company. Mm-hmm. And then we had that. We started then sending uh, birthday cards to their children. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how impactful that was and how proud the employee felt that here they're getting their child is getting a birthday card from the company that they work for. Mm-hmm. That has, you know, maybe uh, some McDonald's tickets in it or some uh, CD, I, uh, you know, uh, or not CD, I'm dating myself. So, you know, <laughs> iTunes. I, I, iTunes, there you go. iTunes, you know, in there. And and, and it's, it's such a little thing. And, and so now that, you know, some of those kids are now working at the company and trust me, they they share that story. <laughs> they tell that to others. And, and uh so, so again, you can do this at every scale, at every size company. You know, we, we, you know, do it within departments. And so, um, 
the another little thing that we do, and it costs a very little money and very little time, is you know when the lottery gets to be really large, we'll go out and buy a lottery ticket for everybody in the company. Mm-hmm. So immediately, you know, when the company was smaller, I used to walk around and and ask them to pull a ticket out, and and there, we had more fun with that. Because they would say, well, you know, do I have to share? And I said, absolutely not. You know, and some of them would say, hey, you know, if I win, I'm out of here. I said, hey, God bless yeah, you. Yeah, great. Enjoy, mm-hmm. you, know? you know, others said, Live you know, your dream. I'm going to buy your company or I'm going to do this. So it's just, and you know what? I don't think anybody won more than $20 through the whole thing. But the whole thing was so, I can't, it was so, the first time I did it, I was just blown away at how mm-hmm. much fun it was. Right. And how much they felt that I thought so much of them that I wanted them to win, I don't know, 150 million, whatever the case right. may have been. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it didn't matter that, that, that I wasn't going to ask them for part of that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's, that's the sharing thing. That's the caring thing that I talk about. Mm-hmm. Well, and it is an investment of time. You know, it's going to take somebody time to sit down and do all those birthday cards. And, you know, obviously it's an investment of money. And, and, you know, but that investment, and and I'm using that word on on purpose, you're Mm -hmm. investing in your people, you know, so it's worth that amount of money, you know, and and rather than sending them to a training program that, you know, or some some educational seminar that they're going to go, yeah, you know, they might get something from that, they might not, but if they think, oh my gosh, Ray remembered me on my birthday. Now, we're all realists. We know that, you know, there's calendar programs that remind us of these things and, you know, all these various things. It's not just that we have those numbers off the top of our head. But just the fact that somebody, and again, CEO, manager, whoever, took the time to do that. You know, I get excited, you know, hello, yes, it is my birthday today. Um, Right, right. You know, all the Facebook, all the people who take the 30 seconds on Facebook to tell me, hey, happy birthday. And now Facebook, there's just a button you can click that tells them happy birthday. You know, and, and but I, you know, some of those people I know very well. Most of them I don't know at all. You know, we're just Facebook friends. But just the fact that they took the time to acknowledge my birthday, it's like, oh, wow, somebody loves me. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, and I'm not, you know, again, it's, it's society is changing and, and, uh, uh, I, I still think if you take that extra step because of what you just said, it doesn't take the 30 seconds to do it. And I'm not saying not to do that, but if you take that little extra step and put that card in the mail, oh, definitely, it, mm-hmm. that is impactful. I'm just, just saying that. Hey, Deb, I want to, you know, you mentioned something earlier about the, uh, when you worked at the financial company and, mm-hmm. and the CEO, uh, wanted the name on, on, on the security card. Uh, and, and, but the thing you mentioned there, I think is very, very key in success is that he told you why he wanted it. Right. And I, and I think that is so important in, in business is, uh, when you're running a company to, if you're going to be doing things within even on a small scale or a big scale, mm-hmm. tell them why you're doing it. Right. I think, I think sometimes, you know, you know, in large companies, you get that memo out and, you know, the policy has changed. Here's mm-hmm. the new policy. Really? And then, and so it becomes a very negative experience. Mm-hmm. You're not, you, you need to take the time to explain why, why we're doing this and what's the benefit. Maybe not directly to them, mm-hmm. but the benefit for the whole company. I think that's just a, 
an important tool not to forget right. if, if they're out there. Well, and so many times the, the, the leadership doesn't take the time, forgets, doesn't think it's important, you know, whatever we want to call it, to pass that information on. And then what happens is it gets made up. You know, well, why do you think we've done this? Well, it's because, and it might not have anything to do with it, you know, and, and again, it could be a, a positive change or a change that, you know, not everybody is, is happy about. And so you want to get in front of it and have, you know, as you mentioned, tell them why, you know, don't let them speculate. Don't let the rumor mill start again, positive or negative, just communicate with them. And, and communication is all about why a company is successful, you know, why that culture thrives. You know, if you've just got the person sitting up there in their ivory tower and you never see that CEO and, you and you know, you're like, yeah, right, whatever. I'm going to go. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to take my paycheck and I'm going to go home at the end of the day. But, you know, communication is all about building relationships with people. I, I, I agree with that. You know, um, and the communication is, is um, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I, I tell people the business we're in is the training and development people, mm -hmm. a business. And, and, and they, they look at me kind of strangely. Well, that's all part about building, you know, your success within the, the culture of your company. Mm -hmm. and, and training and development is a big part of that. And, and what do I mean by that? You know, I, I, I say that, you know, that starts with the, the explanation. If you've ever taken, a, let's say, a golf lesson, you know, what's, what's one of the things the teacher does is that, you know, that teacher will explain, well, here's how you do this and do that. They'll usually go out and, and, and do a, a, a demonstration. And then maybe the two of you will do it together, mm -hmm. you know, and then you'll do it on your own. And usually the fifth step that's missing is that if you take that fifth step and have that person who just learned that lesson, then go teach someone else. It's very impactful. Right. Because right. now, now you're teaching the teacher. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, it, it's just something to keep in mind for, for your listeners out there. It's, it, it, if you want to build a culture that, that uh, is aligned with your mission statement, that, that's one, one way of doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, and one of the things that you talk about in your book is that that corporate culture starts before someone is even hired. You know, they, they hopefully have researched you. I always tell anybody I'm working with, you know, when they're getting ready to do a job interview, and I don't care what company they're going to go interview with, you've got to research them. Find out what their corporate culture is. Because as a potential employee, I want to make sure that it, it matches. You know, if they're the type of organization, um, say, that, that you know, that people typically work 10-hour days, you know, have to work weekends. Some people thrive on that. You know, that's, that is fabulous. You know, some, some corporate cultures are that it's fairly regimented for a variety of reasons. I mean, you know, there's, you know, or maybe it's a total free-flowing, everybody wears their jeans, comes to work when they want, you know, whatever type of thing. And, but then you carry, you talk about how important it is that 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 culture that you have is expressed to someone during a job interview and you make sure it's a good fit before you ever bring them on board. Absolutely. That is, it really does start at the, uh, the hiring process. And this was something that, that I, I learned from uh, another book that I read uh, called Customer for Life by Carl Sewell. Mm -hmm. He is a, a, an auto dealership here in, in uh, Dallas and, uh, 
And so the, the title of it, you know, customer for life, I, you know, it really attracted me. I said, you know, anyone who can get someone to buy a car from the same dealership for life is really doing something right. right. And um, so, so one, one, there was many takeaways, but one of the takeaways was, uh, you know, he, he uh, wrote about the hiring process and, mm -hmm. and shortly thereafter, um, I thought about that. And, and so many times at the company when we, when first started, you know, I would, you know, hire someone and not tell anybody that I was hiring this person. And the next thing you know, they show up on a Monday and, and they, they're sitting down in, in, in the office and they, you know, who are you, right? Um, and so I, I, I didn't have, um, it was more, a, 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 I don't want to say dictatorship, but a more, hey, I'm doing this, I don't have time, I'm just going to hire this person. To right. Me. Mm -hmm. So now the process that we have now is, is if you are a candidate and applying for a job, that person will interview with each uh, department that that, that uh, employee would potentially touch mm -hmm. and and the idea there is that um, that they are part of the hiring process so that if we hire someone they at least have an opportunity to voice their concerns yes I think this person is good or no I don't think this person is going to fit mm -hmm. either qualified by by skill set or doesn't won't fit our culture mm -hmm. um, so those are those are two things that and then what I also tell the candidates is that this is a two way process. You know, I want you to be interviewing us because it's so important that they have belief in what in, in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And to your point, hey, we work with you and to explain to them if we do working 10 hours a day or whatever the case or whatever department that they may be working in. That we explain that to them up front and mm -hmm. so manage the expectations. Right. Um, this has been, that is just such a, such an important part of success. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and we have found that our, once we implemented that process, the turnover it, it died down dramatically. I'm saying like 90%. Wow. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it means that a fabulous candidate, somebody who is extremely well qualified, you say no thanks to yes, because yeah. they're just not a good fit. And so you wish them well. You might even make them an introduction to somebody else. But, yeah. you know, and, and you're so right because they're not going to be happy there. You know, ultimately, they're they're not going to be. And so they're going to look elsewhere. And it's interesting, you know, I, I think we as job applicants have seen that happen before where we have gone in and thought, hey, you know, I, I just don't know. I mean, I had a, a company that I interviewed with many years ago. And it was a fabulous organization, a great mission. It was a nonprofit. But I got just in the pit of my stomach the sensation that this isn't where I want to be. And and I never really knew what it was. I mean, it wasn't that I thought, you know, the work hours were long or whatever. There was there was just something about their culture that struck me wrong. And part of it was the interview process. I mean, it was it was not a fun process. It was one of those where there were eight people and mm -hmm. I was, you know, it was the Inquisition. Each mm -hmm. one asked a question. I was not allowed to ask questions unless I came back for a second interview and I, that that just struck me wrong. I mean, you know, there there were so many things. Of course, they called and said, "Hey, we'd like you to come back." And I said, "Thank you, but no, thank you." And they were just stunned. Well, we thought you were such a great candidate. You were so well qualified. And I said, "But I got to tell you, I just didn't feel like we'd be a good fit." And they didn't understand that. 
Um, yeah. you know, and, and, and so it really is, it's, it's that two way street. You know, if you're interviewing now, granted, there are times where we have to take the job that we take the job. I mean, you know, we have mouths to feed, bills to pay, things like that. But if at all possible, it has to be that good fit because let's be honest, you know, we, we don't want to be someplace for six months and then have to go somewhere else. Um, you know, my husband is one of those long-term employees. He started with a company out of college and is still there. You know, yeah. is it always perfect? No, but you know, he's now, you know, other people changing jobs every couple of years, that's what turns them on. So, you know, but, but that is part of that, their internal culture. And so as, you know, as that business manager, how can you deal with that? You know, if you've, if you know, you've got the, the employee that likes to change jobs every year, if they're a valued employee, find them something else in the company to keep them. Um, to keep them, and, right. Yeah. And, but usually, uh, Deb, on that, though, we'll, we'll filter that out. Quite right. A bit. At the very start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From, from if they, if the resume shows that, um, I mean, sometimes we call them job hoppers. Let's be right. honest. <laughs> they are. And uh, uh, so we, we usually, you know, that will probably disqualify someone from even getting to the first base. Mm-hmm. It, 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 the process, I, you know, again, anything in, in, uh, that's successful uh, takes time and effort. And, mm-hmm. and so when an accountant does come in, it's, it's usually a, a four-hour process, maybe longer, uh, because they're going to be interviewing we don't do it as a group. We do it individually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and then collectively we get together at the end of the day and talk about this candidate. And, and, and we do do a, an exit um, interview process. Usually our, our HR person will do that. And, mm-hmm. and we'll ask that person, now that you've been through and you've met everyone, do you still want to work here? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and believe it or not, there's, there's times it's, it's an exception where they right. feel that the fit, this is not a fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, uh, Deb, that, that, you know, I want to mention is that we, we, uh, when we go, after we go through this process and even in that initial year, we look at that employee to see if they're investing in our company. Mm-hmm. So maybe we miss someone. Maybe they did come on board and they really are just, uh, filling a, a hole until they find their next job. Mm-hmm. So, so we watch for, we call it, you know, is that employee investing in our company? Mm-hmm. Again, not financially, but are they are they taking part in activities? Are they trying to better themselves? Are they trying to learn more about uh, what we do as as a company? Mm-hmm. And so uh, the manager watches for that. And and um, the other thing that I want to mention is that let's say that a, a person has been with us for a period of time, and we do do what you just said. So I, I call it the eighty twenty rule. Um, we want our, our employees to be happy 80% of the time because right. uh, we know we know that we're not a, a perfect company. Um, we also know that it's not a perfect employee. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be different things that are going to change as, as a result maybe of our growth. You know, some people say, well, I, I sure did like the company when we were X size, you know. So when you go to Y size, things do change. Mm-hmm. And, and um so we want them to be happy 80, 80% of the time, and the the 20 we want to manage through that. But if, if they if they if they feel like they're just in a difficult time, or we we've invested in them, they've invested in us, we, we will look for another department for them, or maybe another career path mm-hmm. if we feel this employee is is a is a good one. Right. Well, and you even offer sabbaticals, you know, we and. Do. and 
you know, this comes back to what you've been saying several times is having that culture of trust, you know, that you can go to your manager and say, you know, hey, this this isn't quite working. This is what I'm looking for. You know, I worked with a a woman one time on I was helping her with her LinkedIn profile because she was wanting a, a different job. She'd been with her company for many years, but there was something different that she wanted to do. So she actually put that in her LinkedIn uh, summary section. You know, my ultimate career goal is yada, yada, yada. And which was a little bit risky because she hadn't told the people she worked with that she was wanting another job. But what happened was her manager saw it. Now, in most cases, that person's going to be out the door. You know, you're looking for another job. Fine. Don't let the door hit you on your way out. In this case, the opposite happened. Her manager called her in and said, saw this, you know, is we couldn't do that for you here. Is there a reason you don't want to stay with the company? And of course, she was thrilled because she loved the company. She was going to be able to do, you know, to change career paths. She could keep her pension, her benefits, all those various things that we all just, you know, absolutely love and, and need. But it, it it had astounded her because it, it actually never occurred to her to go to the manager and say, you know what? What if, what if we explore this option? And, you know, and that's a scary thing because seriously, I mean, you know, you're thinking they're, they really are going to show you out the door. But if you value that employee and you value their contribution to the organization, you're going to try and make it happen. Now, are you going to be sad that they're not in your department, your area anymore? Sure, especially if they were a top provider. But it is it is kind of one of those where helping them helps everybody, you know, and, yeah. and we can't emphasize that enough. That's true. That is a true definition of, of a servant leader, right? There's no doubt. And so, mm-hmm. and, and, and hopefully that, that, that person, you know, um, would have trust in, in their manager to be able to talk to them about that. I, yeah, I'm considering this because, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's, it's, it is work. It's communication. You know, you, you've got to constantly be involved. You have to constantly, uh, know what, what your, what your team is doing mm-hmm. and, and, and invest in them. Right. You know, and, and speaking of investments and, and your team and culture and all of those things, we've got about 10 minutes left. So okay. I want you to tell us what you mean by culture of stewardship, because that is extremely important to your organization. So tell us what that means. Culture of stewardship is that, you know, we are responsible um, to our, our our maker, uh, our, 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 our God in heaven, because we, we have all been giving a certain amount of assets and, and how we manage those and be a good steward is, is very important. So within a mm-hmm. company, um, those, those assets are your, 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 your people, which we spent a lot of time talking about, but they're also your hard assets and, and how you're managing it. It's your finances. Mm-hmm. It's your treasury. You know, are, are we, are we investing and spending wisely? Are we, uh, being good stewards by giving, you know, uh, a fair amount of wage, mm-hmm. um, and, or in, and not not just taking the wage for just certain key people. Mm-hmm. Um, those are, 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 you know, and this this goes the, the the stewardship begins all the way from myself, all the way through the it could be the the, the person cleaning the offices. You know, mm-hmm. is that person being a good steward by, you know, collecting things and maybe not throwing things away or, mm-hmm. or, 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 or using them in a, in a more uh, valuable way. Uh, so, so yeah, that's what we, we mean by the, the stewards, to be good stewards. I talk a lot about that 
you know, with my senior managers, mm-hmm. you know, we have to be good stewards and, and in a sense from, again, that could be a, a review of someone, mm-hmm. um, or if, if someone wants to go out and, and spend recklessly, um, and it's not going to be, uh, it, it's too risky, then that, then that's not being a good story. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it is about getting involved in a community also. Um, you know, I, and, yeah. and there are varying ways to do that, whether it's, you know, and, and some of that is team building. I mean, you know, Habitat for Humanity is a great example of going in and doing team building and, you know, all these various things. And, and the nice thing is you can find a variety of organizations that appeals to your employees because not everybody wants to do everything. And some of them are, are little things. You know, I mentioned, you know, that, that big financial company I worked for. We had people who traveled a lot. And one of the organizations that we supported was a women's shelter. And they always, always, always needed toiletry items. And, of course, these women couldn't carry around, let's just be honest, you know, full box, full full big things of shampoo, you know, those giant bottles of shampoo. Yes. And so every employee that traveled, we told them, get the little bottles of shampoo and soap and all those various things. And, and we just put them in a bin. And once a month, we took them to the shelter. That was a little thing, you know, did it make, did it make a big difference? Yes. I mean, obviously to the people that we donated to, but it was something little, you know, we had people who were math tutors, you know, this is an organization that has a lot of actuaries, you know, their, their little brains are math all the time. And so they were math tutors and some of them started with students in elementary school and tutored them all the way through high school, you know, so not only were they tutors, they were mentors to them, you know, and, and, and that was something that was very important to them. You know, when, if nothing stopped them from tutoring, you know, that was the the thing that they did on Wednesday afternoon or, or whatever. And, but the, the important thing was we found out what mattered to our employees. We pulled them, we asked them, you know, where do you want us to spend our money, our time, our efforts, all those various things. And we changed it every year because things changed. Um, you know, but it also was internal. And, you know, quickly, you know, I, I want to mention that you talk about an, an employee in your organization whose son had what was unfortunately terminal cancer and how everyone rallied around and supported her and then she, in turn, at some point, helped other people. Um, you know, and, and that comes back to what I said at the very beginning. Your employees are your family. You know, and, yeah. and we should be able to feel like that. And as an employer, you know, foster that and make that important because we want people to know that they matter and that they care, right? uh, that we it, care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Just just a, a touch on that story. Um of, of uh, that leader who's who lost her son um, shortly thereafter it was probably within two years one of her staff one of her department staff contracted uh, a young man contracted cancer so God had a plan and she knew exactly how to to deal with her employee that mm-hmm. was and deal with her family right. The the other thing that um, you know we mentioned that earlier about um, generation of people coming to work for the company. So since this has happened, this person has had her daughter come to work for us, mm-hmm. and two years ago, her, her the son that she lost, his daughter now works for us. Wow! It, it's wow! I know mm-hmm. it's. Uh, it's it, that's that's exactly what I did, Deb. Mm-hmm. I, I did a while, and I mean, 
and and she graduated. The, the granddaughter, you know, graduated uh, uh, number one in her class, and, mm-hmm. and she's working in our our marketing department, and and just like, I mean, it's just it's just amazing to me. So it's just it, that is a, that is a good feeling all mm-hmm. the way around. It's a good feeling for the people that know the story within the company, and um, it, it's it's it is part of the culture. I just can't can't emphasize that enough. Another thing that I, we were talking about giving back to the community, uh, we have our kickoff. We call it our kickoff. Uh, every year we, we bring all the employees from around the country into, into corporate. And we have uh, a team building exercise. So mm-hmm. one of the things we're going to be doing this Tuesday is uh, we went out and, and I, I can't remember how many thousands of cans of food that we bought mm. but we're going to we're going to divide into these groups and we're mm-hmm. going to try and we're going to be each each group is going to have a certain amount of cans mm-hmm. and they're going to have to design and exhibit with these cans and so we're going to have judging you know and oh, i love it yeah and then and then in turn all those cans are going to go to the food bank mm-hmm. so right. that you know that's 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 a, a culture of stewardship as mm-hmm. well right well, Ray, oh my gosh, we've done it again. We've talked for another hour. And, oh you know, it, it really was one of those things where, you know, when we talked the first time and the recording didn't work, I was so bummed, but I really did think, oh my gosh, I get to talk again. Did we cover some of the same subjects? Yes, but I, there were new subjects that we talked we about. Did. So see this, you know, technology yeah. was my friend, even though we complain about it. So tell us how people find you and connect with you. But they can they can find me uh, on on my website uh, uh, theexpogroup.com mm-hmm. um, and they can if they want to email me email me directly with any additional questions or thoughts they may have it's uh, Ray Pikowski at theexpogroup.com um, if you if you want some some more information well I, I usually I used to tell people I would respond back within 24 hours, but in today's world, uh, it's 48. But if you mm-hmm. email me, I'll, I'll get back to you within 48 hours. Right. You know, and, and I do want to, again, encourage folks to get your book. It's called Lessons of an Entrepreneur, How to Grow, Take Risks, and Survive. And you can find that at Amazon. Um, and I believe Barnes & Noble, you know, some of the, the, uh, the other online sources. But... It's it's a quick read, folks. It's let's see, let me let me flip here. Ninety nine pages, and that includes the biography. So you know, very quick read, but absolutely fascinating tips. Lots of good information. Whether you are the one person in your back bedroom, or you know, a Fortune one hundred, Fortune five hundred, Fortune ten company, you can apply everything that Ray talks about. And and I love his book, and and I can't encourage folks enough to get it. Well, thank you, Deb. I, and that's that's the purpose I, I, I wrote it uh, to to share those ideas, to share um, with both with the Fortune 500 and new entrepreneurs, or even current entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did it as a quick read uh, because I know time is so precious. Right. You know, and again, folks, an entrepreneur is any level. You know, it's it's the Richard Bransons, it's the Steve Jobs, it's me. Um, you know, it's obviously Ray Pakowski. Right. So, you know, think of that. How can you do that? And, and really important, folks, think about that servant leadership. How can you be helping and honoring and caring about the people that work with you, for you, around you, all those various things. Because as Ray said, you know, we come into the world with nothing and we go out of the world with nothing. And so it really is how we fill that space in between that's so important. 
Deb, I couldn't agree more. And, and if I just leave your audience with, with one thing to keep remember is, is there, there's two components to every successful relationship. And that's trust and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. If you just apply those in, in your, your life, your marriage, your, your employment, your relationships, you will be a very happy person. I love it. I love it. Well, Ray, this really has been delightful for the second time to, to chat with you. I enjoyed and, it, Deb. You know, I am Deb Creer. I've been having a fabulous time talking with Ray Pikowski. And until next week, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.